what we've been doing over the last uh, five weeks, this is our fifth week now, is we've been uh, walking through, uh, we call it our vision series. We've been asking the question, who do we believe that God has called us to be as a church? And I love that the kids are in here, by the way, because this isn't just for the adults. This is for the entire family. Who do we, that, who do we believe that God has called us to be as a church family? And what we've said, we, we, we began by looking our, at our mission statement. Twin Oaks Church exists to inspire people to follow Jesus through loving relationships. That's our mission as a church. And we believe that that can happen as every person experiences the four L's. Liberate, love, link, and launch. We said we're liberated by Jesus Christ through what he did in his life, death, and resurrection. And as a result of that, we are compelled to love God linked together in community, and we are launched into the world to the love of Christ. And so what we've been doing the last few weeks is we've been breaking down each of those L's one week at a time. And so today we land on our last L. We're, we're talking about launch. What does it mean to be launched into the world to the love of Christ? Well, one thing that we've been uh, trying to emphasize over the last few weeks, maybe you've noticed, is that when we say that Jesus liberates us, we're uh, not only saying that he, he sets us free from something, but he also sets us free to something. He sets us free from the power of sin and the wages of sin, but he sets us free to live for that which we were created. We've said that two or three times every week, basically, in this series. He sets us free from something, but he sets us free to live for that which we were created. And today is no different. Uh, God, has set, God has designed us, he has created us to be launched into the world, to live for a mission. The problem is uh, sin. As a result of our sin, we have largely you know, abandoned our mission, abandoned um, uh, uh, what we have been called to be, what we've been called to do. And so rather than you know, uh, grabbing that mandate where we are to steward our world and we are to love and serve those around us, our, our sin and our self-centeredness means that we, we largely love and serve ourselves. And, and so Jesus sets us free from the power of that sin and he, he sets us free to live for that which we were created. Um, but as a result of sin, again, what we're left with is this uh, aching, this longing, this yearning to, to be on mission, to be part of something bigger and something significant, something meaningful, something outside of ourselves, something that this world just can't fill. Uh, Matt Chandler wrote a book called Creature of the Word. Um, he's a pastor out in Texas. He, he wrote this, and I think he's spot on here. He said, uh, today we're the most entertained generation the world has ever seen. There's more to do, more to participate in, more to connect with, more to read about, and more information to digest than at any other time in history. And yet, having so much access to so much stuff still has not filled our desire to be a part of something bigger. We still long for a grand mission. When sin entered the created order, it fractured everything from ourselves to the very essence of the universe. But God had a rescue plan prepared, a plan to crush the head of the enemy and restore shalom in the universe. We're going to talk about that in a few more minutes. Uh, to woo home his captured bride and to make all things new at great cost. There is no greater battle or love story. One of the main reasons that mankind is so restless these days, why we so easily and quickly downshift into boredom, is because instead of participating in this one great drama, we're content just to watch and wish we were involved in something this significant. We keep going to movies and watching television shows and buying video games that give hints of this grand romance and battle. But what if we realized more each Sunday, more each month, more each year, that God's plan of redeeming and reconciling people from all nations and people groups is as alive and electric today as it was at the dawn of civilization? You don't have to watch Saving Private Ryan over and over again anymore. 
You don't have to fantasize about what it would be like to wage some epic battle or to fight for some deep love. You don't have to just imagine what it would be like to be a part of something huge and pivotal in history. You're already in it. Hear what he's saying? Most of you guys know, I get teased by a lot of you, most of you guys know I have this, this, fan, I have this, this fascination with these big you know, epic stories like Narnia and Lord of the Rings and Braveheart. There's something just deep inside of me that just wants to paint my face blue and jump onto the front lines, right? I'm not, I'm not the only one, right? And, and I think this is the reason why. Because, because in John 17, Jesus, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. The word sent in Latin is, is the word missio, which is where we get our word mission from. The reason that I ache and I long for a mission is because I was created for a mission. We, we were created for a mission. That's why we long for it. And again, this, does, this isn't new to, to, to most of us here today. But may this serve as a good reminder for each of us that, that there is more to the Christian life than showing up to church on Sunday mornings and praying before most meals. There's more to the Christian life than showing up throwing some tithes in the offering basket, and and praying before our meals. We cannot and we will not be a church that falls prey to this this lie that that once we've received our redemption, once we've received our salvation, that we are secure, that now we just basically sit back, put our feet up, and just soak in the blessings. You know, all that matters now is that I show up and tithe. We cannot and we will not be that church. Because the Bible... All throughout the Bible, you're going to see God um, really dislikes, he's displeased with this kind of attitude. He condemns that kind of attitude. Isaiah 58 is a great example of that. Uh, In Isaiah chapter 58, um, Isaiah the prophet basically calls out the Israelites. God's speaking through Isaiah. He calls out these Israelites. And the Israelites were God's chosen people. Okay? And basically, they thought, we got it made. We're God's chosen people. You know, sure, they still did the rituals. They did the festivals. They, you know, they showed up to church on Sundays. They tithed. They, uh, you know, they sang the songs nice and loud. They, they prayed. They even fasted. But their hearts were far from God. And it was evidenced, we're told, it was evidenced by their lack of mission, by their lack of concern for the poor and for the oppressed and for the lost. And God basically tells them through the prophet Isaiah, he says, you think you think that this is what I want? You think I just want church attendance? You think I want just the rituals and the festivals? You think that this kind of fasting, basically you just stop eating for a day or two? You think that's what pleases me? Do you think that's what's evidence of a true transformed heart? What he says in, cha- in uh, ch- chapter 58, verse 6, he says, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of the wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then, then, he says, shall your light break forth like the dawn. Okay, God's, not, God's not all that impressed with our attendance records or our rituals. He is far more concerned about us being a people who have been transformed by the power of the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ and, who, and whose transformation is, is evidence, is working itself out, bearing the fruit of love for our neighbor and love for our world. Okay, what's clear in this passage and in dozens of others that we don't have time to look at today, but what's true, uh, what, what is clear is that the way that we treat the poor, the way that we engage in mission is an indicator, is a test of what's gone on in, in our heart. The way that we engage the poor and the oppressed and the lost is an indicator of what's gone on in here. How we engage the world is a big deal to God. Um, actually, I'll show you how serious. Um, 
if, I just read this this last week in Ezekiel chapter 16. If, if you're familiar at all with the Old Testament, um, you're going to remember the, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, really, family day? He's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah? Let's be very quick. All right? <laughs> um, we just read this this week with our community group and uh, just caught this in chapter 16. If you're familiar at all with Sodom and Gomorrah, he, um, God pours out judgment on Sodom. And I always, I always thought when reading that story, well, it's because of their immorality and their perversions and so on. That's why God did that. Ezekiel chapter uh, 16 tells us actually, in fact, why God uh, judged Sodom. This is what it said. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. So why did God, God pour out judgment on Sodom? They were proud, had an abundance of food, prosperous ease, and, and it all the while refused to, to aid the poor and the needy. I don't know about you, but that, that hit pretty close to home. Um, do I think that God is about to pour down judgment on Southside? No, I don't. Um, let me get that clear. Um, and here's the reason why. is because God poured out judgment on Jesus. Jesus took our judgment. Jesus took our condemnation. Jesus took our punishment. It's not that our lifestyle or that our attitude is that much better than Sodom, right? At least I'm speaking for myself. But it's that Jesus took our judgment. But what we can, what we can say, although, although we are set free, we, we've received grace, we, we're no longer under the condemnation of God, what we must see is that in Ezekiel 16, God lays it out very clear that this lifestyle displeases him. It, it, it's, it's, it's nothing short of a sin to be proud and have an abundance and yet remain unwilling to help those around you who are in need is nothing short of sin. And as Christians, those who have received the grace of God, if we, are, if we recognize, if this did hit close to home, if we recognize sin in our lives, something that displeases God, then our response, the only proper response, is repentance. We walk away from that kind of lifestyle. We walk away from the Ezekiel 16 lifestyle and we walk towards the Micah 6.8 lifestyle. What's Micah 6.8? He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? May that be said of Twin Oaks Church. May we act justly, may we love kindness, and may we walk humbly with our God. What I'd like to do with just our, our remaining time is I want to ask two very simple questions, okay? What is the nature of our mission and what is the motivation for our mission? Basically, what does it mean to be launched into the world and why should we? I think those are two fair questions to ask. So first, let's look at the nature of our mission. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Jeremiah 29. We're just going to look at one verse, Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Uh, in this passage, the Jews had just been exiled to this large pagan city called Babylon, um, look at what God tells the exiles to do. God tells them through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and to pray to the Lord on its behalf. I truly believe that this uh, command can be applied directly to you and me. I think that this is a mandate for you and I. We are to seek the welfare of the city where God has placed us. But what in the world does that mean? What does it mean to seek the welfare of San Jose? Whoa, I'm about to slip and fall here. Broke it. It's only a matter of time. Um, whew, now I'm all wobbly. About to do another intermission here. <clears throat> all right. 
<laughs> Good one, Jay. All right, and now I lost my place. All right, shake it off. All right, so what does it mean to seek the welfare of San Jose? Okay, well, what's, if, you, if you begin to, to look under what's being said here, what you're going to find is there's underneath all of this is the Hebrew concept uh, of shalom. Okay, shalom. We translate the word shalom as peace, but, but shalom, wow, look at this service. We want you finished. <laughs> he wants me to hurry up. You don't need to clap for that. Um, <laughs> all right. What is, I'm, I'm going to say this again so I can cut all the rest of that out of the podcast. Um, no, uh, what, uh, what's tucked underneath this idea of seeking the welfare of San Jose um, is, is the Hebrew concept of shalom. Okay, shalom. And again, like I said, we, uh, we translate uh, the, sh- the word shalom as peace, but shalom means much more than just a lack of conflict or a lack of fighting. Shalom, the idea of shalom, some of you are familiar with this, it's a very, really rich concept that means in, in shalom there's, there is flourishing, there is strength, there is, again, a lack of conflict, but there, there is peace, but there is beauty, there is wholeness, there is, there is this interdependency. Um, I've, I've heard it illustrated like this. If I were to, to take out of my pocket here today a bunch of spools of thread, and I were to unwind all of these spools of thread, and I just kind of toss them out here on the platform... Um, you know, just thread after thread after thread after thread, and they all just land on top of each other. We wouldn't call that a fabric, would we? That's not fabric. Basically, they're just threads, you know, lying next to each other and, you know, on top of each other, but that would not be a fabric. What makes threads into a fabric are thousands and thousands of tight, interwoven interdependencies. You follow me? Each thread has to go over and under and among and through the other threads. It's not enough that the threads are near each other or that they're on top of each other. They have to be woven together. And if you, if you think about it, the, the more interwoven they are with one another, the more interwoven the threads are, the more beautiful and the more strong and the more warm and the more soft the fabric is going to be. This is the idea of shalom. The Bible says that, that, that God created us to, to exist in a beautiful, harmonious, interdependent, knitted relationship with one another. We are individual threads that are woven, meant to be woven together into a fabric. That's the idea of shalom. Neil Plantiga, as a theologian, he said it like this. He said, the webbing together of God, humans, and all of creation and equity, fulfillment and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts are fruitfully employed all under the ark of God's love. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Here's what it means to be launched into the world. It means you take all of the threads of your life, your emotions, your time, your energy, your money, your resources, your very body, and you plunge it into the lives of other people. That's what it means. This isn't just like, okay, I'm going to toss a couple bucks to the guy on the street. It doesn't mean that you just are near people or around people. It means that you you, you you take the threads of your life and you go over and under and around and through people. That's how we promote shalom. You with me? Maybe not. Some of you might be thinking, what in the world is he talking about? 
All right, this is so vague. Are we talking about sharing the gospel? Are we talking about loving our neighbor? Are we talking about helping the poor? Are we talking about feeding the hungry? The answer, of course, is yes. Yes. All of the above. If you've ever gone out with us on prayer and cheer on Saturday mornings and walked the streets with us, what you're going to hear the team praying, basically, is, is that God would bring healing and, and reconciliation to the whole person and to the whole of society. Right? We're talking spiritually and physically and emotionally and psychologically and relationally and financially. All of the above. That, because that's what's wrapped up in shalom is that the whole of a person and the whole of society is reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. That's what it means uh, to, to, to promote shalom. Shalom means the flourishing uh, in the whole of a person. And so that's what we're after. It's not enough for us just to fill somebody's belly all the while ignoring the emptiness of their soul. Nor is it okay for us to only address the spiritual needs all the while turning a blind eye to the physical needs. It's the whole of a person. That's what it means for us to promote shalom. That's what it means to seek the welfare of San Jose. That's the nature of our mission. You with me? Okay. All right, second question. What's the motivation for our mission? And I'll give you two quick answers here. Why should we? Uh, Here's the first answer. First, we are motivated by an appreciation for God's handiwork. We're motivated by an appreciation for God's handiwork. Here's what I uh, mean. Let me explain. I, I read a book recently by uh, Tim Keller uh, called Generous Justice, and uh, he wrote the book uh, talking about the biblical mandate for loving and serving the poor and the needy. Um, and he says early on in the book that some people question why he chose the word justice in the title. They're like, why don't you use a kind of more commonly used term for stuff like this, like compassion or something like that. And he said, no, 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 I, I deliberately chose the word justice because, and he, he goes on to say, because justice doesn't only mean giving the right punishment for the crime. It, mean, it means more than just giving the fit punishment for the crime. He says justice also means giving people their rights. Giving people their rights. Giving people what they are due. Proverbs 31, verse 9 says, uh, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. That's doing justice. It's giving people what they are due. And every one of us have been endowed with certain inalienable rights. Why? Genesis 1.27, because God created man in his own image. Do you, do you know what it means when, when we're called an image? It, 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 what it, it conveys this idea of that we are a, a great work of art or of great craftsmanship. I love that. You and I are not accidents. We are not the mere products of of a random collision of atoms billions of years ago. Okay? The, the Bible teaches that the, uh, the sacredness of God has in some way and in some ways been imparted to humanity so that every human life is sacred and every human being has dignity. We have, we have worth. We have value. And the more that you and I understand this, the more radical that our commitment will be to live lives of justice. Um. And I'll give you a great example of how this has worked itself out in history. Um, a strong case could be made that, that this understanding that we were made in the image of God um, was at the very heart, was at the very core of the civil rights movement last century. Let me read you just a little excerpt from one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, sermons. He said this. He said, The whole concept of the image of God is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected. Not that they have substantial unity with God, but that every man has a capacity to have fellowship with God, and this gives him a uniqueness. It gives him worth. It gives him dignity. And we must never forget this as a nation. Every man, from a treble white to a bass black, is significant on God's keyboard. 
precisely because every man is made in the image of God. One day we'll learn that. We will know one day that God made us to live together as brothers and to respect the dignity and worth of every man. He goes on to say um, that basically it's, it's this very understanding that, that means that we should root out segregation and, 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 and fight against it with basically with every nonviolent might that we can muster. It's because of this idea that we are made in the image of God. If you and I can look at every person that we come into contact with, whether it's our children, whether it's the person on the street, whether it's a, a teenage ruffian, or whether it's an elderly person, we can look every person in the eye and understand that they are not tools to be used or exploited, okay? or that they are not rejects to be ignored, but that they are people made in the image of God and therefore have dignity and worth and value that their, their very life is sacred. You look in the Old Testament, you're going to see this. You're going to see, that's why we're not allowed to take people's lives. That's why you're not allowed to even curse somebody, James says. is because, because we, have, we are sacred. We, we have dignity. And, and to, to curse somebody is, in fact, to, to do a disservice to their creator. If you and I can look, look every person in the eye and get that understanding, I believe that it's then that we'll be motivated to live lives of justice and to guard the rights of those that we come into contact with. Okay, that's our first motivator, is an appreciation for God's handiwork. Our second motivator for mission, and the greatest motivation, we're closing with this, is God's grace. God's grace. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses says says this to the Israelites. He says, change your hearts and stop being stubborn. For the Lord your God ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you, too, must show love to foreigners. For you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Um, many of us are, are familiar with the, the story of the Israelites, but, but for hundreds of years they were poor racial outsiders in the land of Egypt. And then literally just months after uh, months after they, they were delivered by the grace of God, Moses is having to chastise them, saying, how dare you? You were poor racial outsiders in Egypt. How can you now be so calloused to the poor and the racial outsiders in your midst? God basically through Moses around this, this part of the book basically is saying, Israel, I liberated you. I, I delivered you. I, I saved you. Not, you didn't do it. You didn't accomplish it. I did it by my grace. Now you must go and do the same for others. Basically, he says, if you can understand what I've done for you, how could you not do the same for other people? How could you not have that same attitude, that same compassion, the same desire for reconciliation and healing and freedom for others? The old Scottish preacher, Robert Murray Machine, uh, said it like this in one of his uh, sermons. He said, now, dear Christians, some of you pray night and day to be branches of the true vine. You pray to be made all over in the image of Christ. If so, you must be like him in his giving. And then he goes on, he goes on to, to uh, lay out some objections that he'd, he'd heard from some of his congregants about serving the poor. And then he kind of addresses them. He says, objection number one, well, my money is my own. Answer, Christ might have said, my blood is my own, my life is my own, but then where would we have been? Objection number two, well, the poor are undeserving. Answer, Christ might have said, they're wicked rebels, why should I lay down my life for these? But no, he left the 99 and came after the lost. He gave his blood for the undeserving. Objection number three, the poor might abuse it. Answer, Christ might have said the same thing. Yeah, with far, yea, with far greater truth. 
Christ knew that thousands would trample his blood under their feet, that most would despise it, that many would make it an excuse for sinning more. Yet he gave his own blood. Oh, my dear Christians, if you would be like Christ, give much, give often, give freely to the vile and the poor, the thankless and undeserving. Christ is glorious and happy, and so will you be. If, if we grasp the meaning and the significance of God's grace in our heart, we will do justice. That's what the Bible says. And again, dozens of verses that if we had time, we'd look at them. If we understand the grace of God, we will do justice. It's as simple as that. And if we don't care about the poor, if you don't care about the poor, it reveals at best that, that you still have yet to understand the grace that you have received, that you have been given. Or at worst, that you still have yet to receive the grace of God. You still haven't, you have yet to experience the saving mercy of God because grace, according to the Bible, should make us just. Grace makes us just. And at Twin Oaks Church, we've said it all, all throughout the series, we'll continue to say it, that we are a community that is founded on grace. We are founded by grace. Therefore, we should be a community that is marked by justice. Amen? We were liberated to be launched. We were saved to serve. We were blessed that we might be a blessing to others. Again, that's the, that's the pattern in the Bible. That's the pattern today. Our, our blessings, our grace was never meant to terminate upon. It was never meant to stop right here. It's like this. My last illustration, and we'll close. Everybody, do, do me a favor. Take a deep breath in. Hold on. I didn't say let it out. Some of you let it out. Keep breathing in. Just keep breathing in. Keep breathing. Breathe in. My goal is for every one of you to pass out, okay? I'm going to take a picture. I'll post it. You'll be slain by the Spirit on my, all right? Um, or you can breathe out. Following Jesus is like breathing in and breathing out. If we would have kept doing that, you would have passed out, Right? You would have been unconscious. If you would just keep breathing in, not, passing, not breathing out, you would have passed out. Following Jesus is breathing in, breathing out. For some of you today, perhaps, maybe you feel a little bit spiritually unconscious. Maybe you're weak, maybe you've passed out. Could it be that it's because you're doing a whole lot of breathing in and not a whole lot of breathing out? There's all kinds of intake Right? You're, you're here every Sunday morning, you're, uh, you're, you know, you're attending the Bible studies, you're in the community groups, you're reading your Bible every day, you're listening to the sermons to and from work, but you're not breathing out. Are, are, you, are you actually taking what you're learning, are you applying it into your life? Are you taking these things in art with, are you loving your neighbor and are you serving the poor and the needy? Are you investing in those who are around you? We breathe in the work of God, but we have to breathe out the work of God or we'll pass out. Eventually you die. We breathe in, we breathe out. We breathe in the work of God, we breathe out the work of God. That's the way it is in physical life. I believe that's the way it is in the Christian life. We've been liberated by Jesus Christ, and we are now launched into the world with the love of Christ. And we've got to be done. Let, let me just say one last thing as we, as we close. Sometimes I think it, it, when we talk, we're talking about who we who believe that God has called us to be as a church, Sometimes it can seem like, come on, guys, let's get it together. Let's, let's do this. This is who we are. And if you're not, if, as we're saying, this is who we are, and you say, well, I'm not there yet, sometimes it can get a little discouraging. You know, sometimes you can say, well, I, I'm not, I, I don't measure up. 
how can I be a part of this church family if, if I'm struggling here, I'm not doing this here. This is who we believe God has called us to be. Nobody's there yet. But that's what we, we're there to encourage one another. I'll even give you an example. Um, my son might be mad at me because I'm going to use him as an example here. But um, <laughs> um, maybe a month ago, six weeks ago, he and I were walking down the street. We were walk, walking him somewhere in the neighborhood. And he was doing something. I won't go into it. But he was doing something that I do, one of my little mannerisms. And I pointed it out to him. And I said, oh, it's, you know, you do it just like Daddy. And he said, and he said something that made me feel on top of the world. Then he said something that made me feel about this small. He said, he said yeah, I want to be just like you someday. Like, that's the best, right? It doesn't get better than that. He said, I want to be just like you someday. Um, and so we talked about that a little bit. And he said, yeah. He said, but I, but I don't know if I want to be a pastor. He said, I want to be a missionary because I don't only want to tell people about Jesus at church. I want to tell people about Jesus everywhere I go. Okay, that's really cool to hear your son say that. But that hurt. Right? I'm like, shoot, I want him to say, I want to be just like you and tell people about Jesus everywhere I go. But instead, he told me, you tell people about Jesus at church. I, I'm not where I want to be in this. Um, I mean, that, that was like the Holy Spirit speaking through a six-year-old. Okay, none of us are where we need to be. But the, but the idea is we, we, we believe that this is where the Scriptures are telling us that we need to go. This is where we should go. So I, I need you to encourage me. I love, I'm in a, in a small group with a couple of guys on, that meet on Wednesday nights. And, and, and these guys, I mean, they're leading me. They're pushing me. They're encouraging me just through what they're doing. And the insp- I'm, I'm being inspired by that to go out and share my faith more. We need one another. And I believe this is who God has called us to be. I'll stop rambling here. But I just want you to be encouraged. If you feel like this is something you can say, yes, you know I'm not there yet, but yes, I want, to be a, I want to be a part of a community that inspires people to follow Jesus through loving relationships. No, I'm not there yet, but I want to be there. I believe God has called me to be there, and I believe he's going to take me there through this community. You're in the right place. Amen? Let's pray. Let's pray. I'm, going to, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to invite Becky uh, Basulto up. She's going to uh, spend a few minutes just telling uh, all of us how, how, you know, some of the different ways that we're trying to implement these things practically as a church. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for um, the gift of mission. We thank you so much that we have the opportunity to act as your hands and your feet and your voice. God, that we can uh, go out and we can share the gospel and we can encourage people and we can tell them about how much you love them and we can go and we can serve them and meet their needs. Thank you for the way that you've blessed us and now you will give us the opportunity to go and bless others. I pray for every person here, young and old, and I pray, God, that you would grow us in this, God, for the, for the glory of your name. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Um, I'm Becky Basilto. I help out here um, with the local and global impact. So kind of our volunteering and missionaries and the way that we help out um, in different ways. So I wanted to kind of um, tell you about the different opportunities because I think it's one thing to listen to a sermon and then go, what now? So I wanted to give you guys a couple of ideas and um, go from there. And I'm going to go as fast as I can. Um, but I think the first way is to pray, right? So um, the ushers are going to pass out right now some little stickers that have San Jose on them. And um, we'd love it if you could put those throughout your house just as a reminder um, to pray for San Jose, for our neighborhood, for um, the people around us and the people in our church. Um, and so, and prayer is always the way, right? That's the way to start. God will tell us where he wants us and, and what he wants us to do. Um, so one of the first ways that we as a church help out is through House of Grace. Um, I know a bunch of you are probably familiar with their, that. You've probably been there. Um, but for those of you that haven't, it's a women's recovery program um, where addicted and homeless women can rebuild their lives 
through um, biblical principles. And it's an amazing program. It really doesn't just address um, recovery in the person. It addresses the whole person. And the best part about it is that these women get to get sober over a year and have their kids with them. Um, most programs that are rehab programs, they have to leave their kids at home. But this, they get to have them with them. So what do we do there? The second Friday of every month from about 7 to 9, um, we eat a really great meal. And then we do some kind of activity with the women. We play games. We do some kind of craft. Next month, we're having picture night, which is one of the ladies' favorite ones. Um, and um, we just have fun. For those of you that have been, it's really loud and boisterous. It's kind of like a party. And um, I always, over the last seven years that I've been going, never, ever, ever leave not having a great time. So I encourage you to show up once or more. Um, it's a great time. And then we also go to House of Grace every fourth Friday of the month. A couple of us go and teach a parenting class. Um, it's a great way to go deeper with the women and share kind of our resources and listen to them. Um, if any of you are interested in teaching um, that, please let me know. Um, as Philip mentioned, we do prayer and share as a church. Um, every fourth Saturday of the month at 11, we meet here at the church and then just walk around the neighborhood, praying for the neighborhood, looking for opportunities to build relationships, um, and just kind of being together. And there's no skills necessary. So um, you don't even, if you're scared to pray out loud or anything like that, don't worry, still come. Um, we just want to have you join us and do that with us. And then we have our city projects. Um, Philip mentioned we have, um, we're planting a rose garden at House of Grace on August 23rd with the Ballards um, community group. But basically what city projects is, is a different community group every month um, hosts a service event. So they plan it, they do all the coordinating. All you have to do is sign up and show up, which is a great um, way to just kind of dip your toes into a bunch of different things and see what works for you, what you might like. Um, so that's kind of the, the things that the church does. But I also wanted to mention a couple agencies that we have relationships with um, for two reasons. One is um, opportunities to volunteer, but also they have amazing resources that you might want to remember for the future. Say that um, your friend's son um, needs a recovery program. Well, City Team has that. Um, or you know a senior citizen that needs a ride um, to the doctors. Well, Love Inc., who I'm going to mention in a minute, does that. So they're, they offer great resources, and they're a really good place to volunteer. So City Team, they actually have the umbrella for House of Grace, um, and they have amazing other programs like a men's shelter. They every night house homeless men. They feed them. They shower there. Um, there's great opportunities to volunteer there because they do it all by donations and by volunteers making the meal, three meals a day. So great opportunity to volunteer. And they have a men's recovery program, which is just like House of Grace. They have a learning and career employment center. They help people with GED, ESL, life skills, job hunting. So if you have anything like that that you want to help out with, um, that's a great place. And then family services is um, where they provide families in need with food, um, diapers, school supplies, backpacks, furniture. So if you have anything that you want to donate, great place to take it. Or if you want to help with um, sorting things and um, things like that, they can always help it, use help. And then Heritage Home is the last one under City Team. That's a home for um, pregnant women. Um, they take them in, they're in crisis, and they help them to re-enter society after the baby's born. So that's City Team. Love Inc. is love in the name of Christ. I, um, the director spoke here a couple months ago. And they're a really cool organization as well. They connect people in need with um, churches, people in churches. So like I said, you know, a senior citizen that needs a ride to the doctor, they then find someone in a network church 
to help meet that need. So they have lots of projects that they need help with, like yard work, minor home repairs, um, friendly visitors for shut-ins, things like that. They're a great organization. Um, and I'm going to be outside um, after with more flyers and information about those agencies and the things that we do. So if you want to come talk to me. And then also, um, if none of those kind of are your fancy, there's some great websites um, that will take your, the first one up there, will take your um, location and your interests and then show you all the potential volunteer opportunities. So awesome website. And the second one is more Bay Area focused. And then the third is, um, say you have young kids and you're like, I, I, can't, I can't get out, I can't volunteer. Um, they offer really cool projects to do at home with your kids, like sending letters to those in the military, um, lots of different opportunities there. So check those out. Um, so that's kind of what we do locally, but we also help out globally as a church. Um, the church supports eight different missionaries or organizations throughout the world and that are really trying to um, share God's word um, in deed and in word. Um, and I'm really excited because a couple of them are going to come this fall to share what they're doing with us. So you'll get an opportunity to really get to know them better, um, see what they're um, doing out there and what they need. Um, but they're also listed on our website, twinoakschurch.org, and they love prayer. As I've been um, corresponding with some of these missionaries, the one and main thing that they always, always ask for is our prayers. Um, so please take a look at our website and, and do pray for them. They really appreciate it. Um, and as a church, we try to send out a missions team at least once a year. This last month in July, we actually sent out a, a missions team to Mexico. And I'd love to have um, Christine and Jean come up and share with us a little bit about that. Um, and it was their first time ever going on a missions trip. So um, come on up, ladies.